It's really difficult to find great executives. Spear Consulting helps organizations find all-star executives and hire the right one using work psychology so you can serve more customers and grow your business. To get a free quote, go to spiritmco.com. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Virtuous Heroes podcast with your host, Christopher Gomez. So excited about our guest today, Rhonda. I am just so energized and excited to be able to have you on the podcast. I know it's been some time coming. We've had uh, Allison Gordon, your AVP of New Talent Strategies on the podcast previously, and so excited to be able to bring the head of HR for Duke University Health System. So exciting. Let's go. Rhonda, who are you? Wow, what an introduction. It's a little good to see you as well. Uh, I'm just pleased we've worked together in the past and we're continuing to work together. So we, we are very grateful for your partnership, Christopher. So thanks for having me. Uh, who am I? Well, I usually start with I am a, a wife, I'm a mother, I'm a daughter, uh, I'm a child of God. I, I really am. I am a confidant. Uh, I work very closely with people that I hold their most important information uh, solid, uh, and they can trust me. Uh, I'm a mentor. I'm an executive coach. Um, and uh, I just happen to be uh, blessed to be the head of human resources. I'm a chief human resources officer and senior vice president at Duke Health, and we're located in Durham, North Carolina. Awesome. Well, uh, yeah, so it's been great to be able to work with your organization for the last four years, and thank you for the kind words that you offered there as well. I guess uh, one of the things that you had mentioned, you know, two things that are kind of coming up on my heart is both being a confidant and also being a, a mentor. Can you speak to a little bit about uh, how you got into being able to mentor people and, and what that journey has looked like? Interesting. Well, sometime in my career as a head of human resources, I really spent some time saying, aside from the work, what is it? What is my purpose? Hmm. What am I here to do? And I quickly learned that it really wasn't about me. My work is not about me. It is about bringing out the best in others. Um, and early in my career, I uh, really sat with, I had the benefit of an executive coach and she said, What's, what is it? What, why do you wake up in the morning? What is your purpose? And I realized that over time that I am here to pour into others. Hmm. Um, so I became a mentor by doing my personal work to say, why do I even exist? It's more than a, about the work. How am I fulfilled? And I am fulfilled when I am pouring into others, when I'm sowing seeds for their harvest. So my actual purpose statement says that I set the stage so the brilliance of others might shine. Hmm. I set the stage so that your brilliance shines. It's not about me. I'm the one that wants to put the lights on you and shine you up and uh, make you um, successful. Um, because I've, I've had a long journey in this uh, thing called work and life. I've been at this almost 40 years. I started as a child, um, but, um, uh, and so pouring into others has, has really meant more to me than the work itself. So that's how I be became a mentor and I enjoy it. 
Awesome. Well, thank you for uh, for sharing in that regard. And as long as we're kind of diving into the story, let's kind of give us an overview of how you got to leading HR for Duke Health. That's a, a huge gig and uh, one that I'm <laughs> sure that comes with many pressures and stresses. And uh, yeah, excited to kind of hear about your journey too. Yeah, it's uh, my leadership journey, probably like others, is long and winding, um, but it's rewarding. Uh, not easy, but rewarding. And um, I studied journalism uh, and broadcasting at Hampton University, uh, historically Black college uh, and university uh, in the Tidewater area of Virginia. So go Pirates. Um, and having gone to a historical Black university or Hampton University in particular, um, we were seen we were valued, we were nurtured as students. We had small classrooms, we were known by name and it gave us strength and confidence um, and ability to believe that you can do anything you want to do. I had professors that told me I can be anything I wanna be. I started my career or wanted to pursue broadcasting. I had a radio show, uh, I did a little television. Um, but I was recruited uh, by a dear friend from the IBM Corporation in Gaithersburg, Maryland. He reached back, actually, he's a mentor, and recruited about a handful of us and joined the IBM Corporation. I was so excited. Uh, the days of the big blue when you wore your blue suits, your white shirt, you know, your stockings and your, your pumps. I mean, it was a uniform. I was walking out one day, probably six months into my, my new role, and my recruiter said, Rhonda Story, do you know why we hired you? And Story is my maiden name. Kind of goes with the journalism thing. And I said, well, maybe it's because of my 3.8 average and my, my uh, communication skills. I studied communications. And he said, no. I said, well, maybe it's because I had internships that prepared me to work in the corporate setting. He said, no, you were a twofer. Hmm. And I said, a twofer? Now, I was straight out of college. I have no idea what this man is talking about. He said, yeah, we were closing our affirmative action books, our EEOC reports, and uh, you helped us uh, click off the click off a, a, a woman and a, and a minority. Oh, no. Oh, no is right. Hmm. I was mortified, but I will tell you from that moment, I call that a moment of truth in my career. Very early on, I was 21 at the time. And I said, you know what? I'm going to show you what you get for this twofer. And it created a fire in my belly that still burns to this day, Christopher, I promise you. So may that gentleman rest in peace. I don't know what his motive was, but it was my motivation. It was my motivation. And so um, that strengthened me. That made me want to, yeah, prove myself. We all have to do that. But it just made me more passionate about the craft. So I was with IBM for 10 years. Um, I then went on to Hughes Electronics um, in the Gaithersburg, Maryland area. With IBM, we moved around the country. Um, I had a family. I had a, a little ones as I was moving about in my career. Uh, after uh, Hughes Electronics, I went to Nike out in Beaverton, Oregon. Talk about fun. 
Mm. Learned a ton at Nike. I learned, you know, certainly about Just Do It and kind of the relentless pursuit of the swoosh. But I had a pretty important moment of truth there as well. Um, I literally physically burned out. Mm. I literally burned out. I know what burnout is. Um, Nike is 24-7. You literally wear your spandex. You run around the, the campus to your meetings. You're on constantly. My boss was new to Nike, and he drank coffee like, all day long. Mm -hmm. And we would work into the night. Mm -hmm. We would be on email into the night. And, and I couldn't cut it off. So we worked late at night. Um, I, had, I had kids and a family to care for, go to work early. And I just did that constantly for a while. Just do it, right? And one morning, I could not get out of the bed, literally. I asked my husband to take the kids, just take them. I can't, I don't know what's wrong with me, but I'll be okay. Where he left me that morning, I was there when he got back, sitting on the same couch, staring at the same white wall. Hmm. Well, Christopher, that went on for four days. Whoa. So by Thursday, time to shower at a minimum, <laughs> What I realized is that as a high introvert, I'm a high introvert, top of the scale. I had not taken the time to recharge. Mm. My tank had runneth empty. <laughs> and I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know that it was important to be in touch with how I'm wired so that I could be replenished. I had no idea. You know, I learned about Myers-Briggs. I learned about the value uh, and the particular characteristics about being an introvert, but I didn't know that I needed to care for my energy. So I literally burned out. And so when people talk about burnout today, I know what that looks like. And I work very hard for that not to occur because I pay attention to my energy. Lesson learned. Yeah. Um, turning the corner a bit, then I went to Atlanta. Georgia, I was in charge of human resources for a company some people might have heard of lately, it's Colonial Pipeline Company. Mm. Uh, they kind of got in a little uh, hacking trouble uh, not long ago, but I was the only woman and African American uh, at, in the C-suite at the top of the house. There were very few like me in the organization. So I had pipeliners that were uh, across uh, the country, um, a very different, um, very different industry. But as you can tell, or from a human resources perspective, we truly believe that people are transient in the industry. Our work is to become that business partner for that industry and care for the people. Um, I learned there that it's so important to build relationships quickly. They had never seen the likes of me on the pipeline. Mm -hmm. So when I showed up, I had to have on my steel-toed boots and my corduroys and my jeans. And I had to kind of go elbow to elbow with these pipeliners. Mm -hmm. I built lasting relationships with them very quickly very credibly. I mean, it's, it's important to have credible relationships. And how do you do that? You are, you need to follow through on your word, whatever you said you were going to do, do it. 
And if you can't get to it, explain why. So we were there to transform the organization. Colonial Pipeline at the time was not quite performing well in the industry. We were somewhat of a turnaround team. And uh, in five years, we went from worst to first in the industry. So culture change, transformation. I learned a lot about the value in that and how to do it, what mistakes can happen along the way um, at uh, Colonial. Uh, I really enjoyed that opportunity. Then I got introduced to this thing called healthcare. It was not on my radar. It really wasn't. I'm sitting in, you know, hot Atlanta doing my thing. Um, my kids had grown up there for the most part, and we really had not been thinking about um, moving. And I have to do a little um, public service announcement to shout out to my husband, Kevin. Uh, he actually sat down his career to uh, help me as mine launched. And so he's the wind beneath my wings. And I say that to say it takes a family unit. If there's a family involved, there's a family unit when it comes to success in a career. So he is one that I absolutely have to shout out to and I'm so grateful for. So thank you, Kevin. Um, but healthcare. So Kevin was in healthcare, set his career down. I never thought about healthcare for me. Uh, I was recruited to BJC Healthcare uh, in St. Louis, Missouri. I had no designs to go to St. Louis. Again, I'm in Atlanta. Where is St. Louis? So joined that organization, joined a hospital there, actually, Missouri Baptist Medical Center. The best thing I could have ever done in joining healthcare because it was so important that I just not go to corporate and try to lead from corporate without knowing the operations. And so going into Missouri Baptist Medical Center and leading in an operations directly was worth its weight in gold. I learned so much there. So learning the operations was my big lesson there. And I ascended to be the head of the health system, which today has 15 hospitals and additional service organizations. Big lessons, big learnings um, in my career at BJC Healthcare. Um, then I get this call about Duke, right? Uh, who doesn't respond to a call about Duke? Mm. And I'm from Richmond, Virginia originally. So this would bring me back home. My mother um, was 92 at the time that we moved and I could spend some quality time with her, which became so very important as she aged. So the, the timing was perfect for me and my family. Again, a family decision. So I'm here at Duke. I've been here five and a half years and it's been a wild ride. Here at Duke, I've learned also to build relationships. Almost everything that I've learned across my journey is coming to roost here at Duke. Building relationships, building strategy, transforming an organization, um, bringing in new ideas, uh, building infrastructure from the ground up. So that's been my journey. I know I've said a lot, but I have felt rewarded along the way. What I will say um, about being spiritual and why that's so important to me is that with every move I've made, I felt like it was appointed and anointed. Mm. I've always envisioned these big, strong, 
with veiny hands carrying me safely throughout my career. Always, I always, with every move I've made, do it in prayer, putting God first and says, this is what I need to be doing. Give me a sign. I could tell you some stories about signs um, that truly confirmed that I'm in the right place at the right time. Have you been feeling unfulfilled? You want to be happy, but just continue to struggle. One of the best ways to experience joy is by caring for the homeless. A charity I've grown to love, River Light, food rescues a million meals per year for the needy in Chicago. Imagine how that make you feel, knowing that you're helping feed children and veterans. To make a tax-deductible donation, visit riverlightchicago.org. Again, riverlightchicago.org. No one should go to bed hungry. So I'll pause there. So just as you were kind of talking about that in our own journeys, it's, it's hard oftentimes when we're in the middle of, of whatever battle that you're facing in the present moment to be able to see those strong hands that are carrying you through. But then it's easy as we sit kind of more in the, the catbird seat to be able to look in the, in the past and see, okay, wow, I could see how you had guided me there, how this had connected to that and connected to that. So I know Duke just recently made a pledge against racism and kind of like just connecting the two of like, you know, your two for moment that you had at IBM. And then now the work that you're doing as the head of HR for a health system. Can you speak about kind of your journey, like how, how kind of like those two things uh, interlock with each other and the, the work that you're doing to make a stand against racism at the health system? That, that, First of all, to make a stand um, like that in the South uh, is huge. It takes a lot of courage to do that. Um, it takes a lot of desire to create hope for the workforce and the community. Uh, I just feel like our stand against racism, um, while prompted obviously by the very um, troubling outcome of, of George Floyd, it that ignited something in me, that ignited something in our organization, and we believed it was so important that we stand up. Um, make a pledge. We have a specific pledge that we've asked people to align with um, so that we can be a better organization uh, from a diversity, equity, and inclusion perspective. So we're breaking new ground. One of the things that is part of my leadership, uh, I would say, uh, attribute is that I love to break new ground. Let's do things differently. Hmm. Let's do things in a way that will uh, differentiate people's experiences here uh, in the organization. So for caring, this anti-racism pledge is caring for our workforce in ways that perhaps we've not done um, as explicitly as we have in the past. And so as we talk about 
just the creative element of that and, and casting vision. If, if you feel like, you know, the, the input of the, the way that you guys are specifically like making this pledge against racism, what, what do you think that's, you know, looking five, 10 years down the road, if everything worked according to plan, what would, what would life look like in an ideal world at, at Duke Health? It would, we would, we, our decisions, our policies, our practices would be more just. Yeah. Um, everyone would feel like they matter. Everyone would feel like they're seen, they're heard and valued, and that they can thrive here in this organization. That work isn't a grind, and I'm just not here as a worker. But I have an experience here that I want to tell everybody about. Um, I want to be. I want to stay with this organization. I want to contribute my very best. Five years from now, uh, and I told my team this: I want to be on, if not sooner, the front of Time Magazine, like Coach K has been, and some of our premier doctors have been. Um, to, that we become the employer of choice for the world. <laughs> I have big dreams. But Time Magazine, because we, we've been on that cover for a number of things, but I want to be a place that our people um, are honored, they're rewarded, they're awarded. They want to be here. They want to refer their friends and family to join us. Um, and that is so important to our community. We care for human beings. We care for human lives. So it's not just the experience for our people internally, but in healthcare, it's the experience of those that come to us for hope and healing. What do they experience when they're in our hallways? Are they getting equitable um, service? Are, are we, is there health, is there equity in their healthcare? All of that, all of those things are so important. Um, not just five years from now, but ideally tomorrow. You know, many people may not have had the same experiences that you've had, Rhonda. Can you take us back to that twofer moment? How, how did that make you feel? I'm just trying to, I'm just curious, like, you know, for the person that maybe, you know, grew up in a, in a white household that has never had to experience, you know, racism or feeling like they were less than other people, just kind of curious, like specifically when you're in the work working world and you're told like, all right, well, you're specifically hired because you're a woman and you're a black woman and you're just checking the box for us. Basically told that like, it's not really, you don't really matter as a person. It's just more so filling criteria. Just curious, like how, yeah, in that moment, how you specifically felt. I remember what I had on that day. Wow. <laughs> so it is emblazoned in my my mind, my psyche, uh, blue suit, white shirt. That was our uniform. But I remember the specific suit. I remember where we stood out in front of his office. And I know this lad's name, but I think he's gone on before uh, some honor that may he rest in peace. I was shocked. I was startled. I felt less than. Hmm. I felt unseen and unvalued instantly. And I was coming in early, leaving late, getting pretty good feedback about my work. 
I was very junior, my first corporate job out of college. And to hear that it rings in my ear to this day. I have never felt so small. Hmm. But thank goodness, I'm not one to hold chips on my shoulders. When you put a lot of chips on your shoulders and calluses, that's heavy. That, that, that doesn't serve you well. I decided a route of breakthrough. How do I use that as my platform to move forward and not be hindered? You know, there was an intersection there. I could have gone real left, <laughs> mm. which would have changed my career, my trajectory, my interest, my desire. But I decided to go right. And to this day, I thank that gentleman for that fire that he ignited that has never gone out. My pilot light hasn't gone out. My husband wishes it does because he says you work too hard. <laughs> but, you know, in the pain that I experienced, I am grateful because I choose to be. Well, <clears throat> well, thank you for sharing in that regard in your vulnerability to be able to even share that story in the first place. And, and I pray that it really just blesses uh, people that haven't been able to encounter those situations to really understand uh, why, why uh, people that have felt like they've been discriminated against, not only in the workplace, but everywhere, <clears throat> why, why it matters and, and, you know, what, how, you know, as you mentioned, lives can be destroyed mm -hmm. if they buy into that, like I'm less than, and it just like keeps on piling on in that regard as well. Um, so today, you know, uh, and being able to be vulnerable to share our stories, to help other people get breakthroughs, that's part of being a virtuous leader. And, uh, but you know, the, the opposite side of virtue is vice. I know you brought up a couple of them, kind of like just talking about your overarching leadership journey, but just curious if there's any other specific vices that you had to overcome, Rhonda, as a leader in order to reach the leadership capabilities that you have today. Vices, so it's hard to want to admit you have them, right? <laughs> so I um, stepped back when I, I realized you were gonna ask me that question so that I could be honest and in uh, sharing really um, what, my vices are, and, and upon reflection, there are two primary ones. I'm sure there are more. My team might tell you there are a whole lot. Um, but I have a bias for action. And that can be good, especially in an organization that's changing and transforming and growing and, and competing. Um, but that also has a, 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 another side to it, if you will. So when something makes perfectly good sense to me, I'm ready to go. Let's go. What does it take? Are we done yet? I realize in my leadership that everybody's not ready to go. And that's a fundamental principle around change management. You have to have the coalition of the willing. You can't do this stuff by yourself. And I became more aware of the key to change management principles. I got my master's in organization development a little later in my career from the American University in Washington, D.C., where we studied uh, organizational behavior, organizational structure and design and all. Change management, change agency being one of the key elements. 
And so I've learned over time that that bias for action can be harmful to others if you're not careful. You need to bring others along on the journey. Uh, and I tell my team, I still have the bias and I, turn, I, I, I tell my team, I have a wonderful team around me. This is if you see me going off a cliff, you have all the permission in the world to say, whoops, come back. Whoa, not yet. Wait a minute. You missed a corner. <laughs> we missed a stakeholder or a constituent. So, so Rhonda, can you think about a specific time where maybe like you feel like in your in your doership of like, let's go, let's go, let's go. You're like, oh, you know, like, you know, maybe that just kind of like, what was the moment when you realized like, oh, okay, this is something that I need to really be able to refine because, you know, obviously every virtue, I would say like the virtue there is like being able to be a doer, being able to accomplish things, be able to be driven. But then as you're saying, like, you know, wanting to make sure that everyone is, is on board within the decision and bringing people along with that uh, as well. So was there a specific moment that kind of like opened your eyes to that? Oh yeah, I got a few, but um, in my, I'll, I'll, I have one particular one that comes to mind since you asked the question where I was doing a restructuring and um I was ready with my restructuring. I thought I had touch bases with all stakeholders. And um, there was one primary one that I missed because I was looking to promote some talent in the process and thinking that promoting this talent would be great, but it would move this person out of their current facility to another facility. Mm. Uh, I had talked to everyone I thought um, but that particular person's boss, silly me, right? But surely you want to support this person's development. So I guess I presented it almost as it was done. You know, here's what I want to do. Um, surely you're on point. You know, I'd like to do it. That's what the point was. I'd like to do it too soon for that leader to consume and be, be, um, be in agreement with. And the other thing about it, Christopher, is it illuminated that I didn't have a relationship as deep a relationship with that leader. So who was I to come in and make this decision and have this plan? And I had not spend time, spent time with the leader as I was evolving the plan. I just presented him the plan and said, hey, we're ready to go. <laughs> and he was very upset with me. The beauty of that situation, though, is he told me the truth. He gave me feedback why, why he was so irritated. And we were able to sit with it. I learned so much. I thanked him. And to this day, we're BFFs. Oh. It took a conversation. We didn't harbor anything. We didn't hide from it. We went toe-to-toe -to -toe tactfully. He said, this is what you did. Thank you for that. May everyone, may every executive and every person in the workforce be able to have that, uh, that courage to be able to love people in that way that he loved you. Because, you know, obviously could have harbored ill will, like you were saying, like being able to talk negatively behind your back. But instead, he right. just was like, look, 
this is an opportunity to be able to like coach this person in the particular uh in this moment and was able to love you in that way to say hey you know this is maybe something to think about for the future and I absolutely love that so uh, yeah so um wow thank you for being able to to share in that that way as well and uh so i know the other thing that we were i was hoping to uh, address with you as well is like you know we are obviously still coming out uh the of the other side of this this new world that we're living in with the pandemic how have you personally been able to stay focused and continue to thrive in an environment that's so unforgiving these days thank you for that question you know people ask me every day are you okay <laughs> we know you got a lot on you you all right and at one point it was like oh my gosh am i where am i looking crazy what is going on um <laughs> you know I, what keeps me focused is I nurture the spirit. I meditate every morning. Uh, they don't even have to be long meditations. Sometimes I just say, thank you, Lord, for waking me up. Mm -hmm. What is my task for today? Uh, just sit, I sit in the dark with my coffee and my yogurt, and I talk huh. to myself and the Lord, right? Um. I, I do remember, though, recently, especially in this storm we're in, I started feeling inadequate. And I started saying to myself, boy, you're so inadequate. You're, you, you, are, we are, you are not adequate. And that came from the fact that I didn't have the normal HR answers, right? We could go to our little HR manuals, our playbooks, you know, page 87 and say, here's a policy, here's this, then. And a dear friend of mine in the industry said, you know, what was a bright idea at nine o'clock this morning is absolutely absurd by noon. So nothing stuck. Um, still to this day, very few things are sticking. Um, but what I realized is as I was telling myself I was inadequate, I started feeling that way. Mm. My shoulders would roll. I came to meetings sitting back instead of leaning in as I usually do. And I'm a believer that you are what you tell yourself. And I was not helping myself with that. So I changed my language. You change your language, you change your life. And I changed my language simply to I am human. Mm. I am human. And what I've shared with my colleagues is we have never been here before at a time such as this. So what we need to do is extend grace and human kindness. Mm. Extend grace and human kindness. So turning that back to myself, I extend myself grace, human kindness, and remind myself that I am human. I love that. I uh, actually went to a retreat in your neck of the woods in Cartersville, Georgia, and the northwest suburbs of, of Georgia. Mm -hmm. And the, what we learned there is like, basically, just exactly what you're saying, rather than, rather than trying to fight those voices that are, you know, basically negatively <laughs> trying to influence you to just say, you know what, thank you so much, Jesus, for accepting me, despite me being a failure in whatever, whatever way it is. Because anytime you try to then fight back, it's just going to end up just continuing to 
to roll but when you agree like oh yeah you're so right thank you and thank you for accepting me despite me in this i found that to be like just an incredible way to get out of some of those battles that you know previously may have you you know go down a tail end of a a a week a month whatever where you're feeling like inadequate or feeling like you're not good enough in whatever whatever specific area and uh no, I love that, that, that human element of like, look, I, I am human. I'm a wounded vessel and mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm prone to fail. So, so that's beautiful. So thank you for that as well. Uh, Rhonda. Um, yeah, just, I can't uh, thank you enough for the way that you, you bless the virtuous heroes podcast being on today and sharing some of your uh, stories in the trenches as well. Uh, specifically as, you know, one of the leaders within human resources across the, uh, the the healthcare industry. So appreciate you being here. Uh, would you be so kind to either close us in prayer or let me close us in prayer? Please do go right ahead. I would love to be blessed by you. All right. Well, Father, uh, we thank you for the opportunity to be together today. And Lord, I just think that there's just so many blessings that are coming from this uh, beautiful soul, your your wonderful daughter that you made. Uh, in Rhonda. And then Father, I just, I just pray that Lord, that uh, any, any strongholds that are held up on people, not being able to recognize that racism is a thing. And that Lord, you know, so many times I've prayed and, and asked the question, you know, just thinking about does Jesus think that Black Lives Matter? <laughs> like, it's just mm. preposterous to even think that, 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 you know, I know some Christians can get wrapped up thinking that, this is not a movement of you, Lord. And so, Lord, we just thank you for Rhonda and those that are championing uh, a pledge against racism. And that, Father, that you would, Father, I know that you, Jesus, when you walked on this earth, that you were one of the biggest proponents of the liberation over uh, females, that the most oppressed during those times, that, Lord, that you love to set the oppressed free. So, Lord, we just pray Uh, In Jesus's name, Lord, that you would end racism in our land and that we would be able to see major strides of of equity throughout all uh, all employers, Lord, that everyone would be able to receive their fair shot because every one of those people are your um, blessed children that you've made in your image, Lord. And so, Father, we just thank you so much for Rhonda being on this uh, podcast today. Lord, I would just pray that you would anoint her. Father, thank you for anointing her, her family, her work and her ministry, that she would just continue to be able to make major strides in the kingdom and to be able to break down these silos to just raise up, to raise up your people, Lord. And we pray this all through the mighty name of our blessed Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You have given me fuel for the rest of my day and a week, quite frankly. Thank you for that, Christopher. <laughs> let's go, let's go Rhonda. Well, thank you so much for uh, being with us today on the Virtuous Heroes podcast, where we inspire virtuous leadership and uh, hope you have an incredibly blessed day. You as well. Thank you. Thanks for your partnership. Hey, Chris here. Hope you enjoyed the episode where we discussed all things going bald. (laughs) Just joking. If you enjoyed the episode and the podcast, will you please subscribe on YouTube or Apple Podcasts or Spotify? Or you could also share it with a friend. That would be tubular. I hope you have an awesome day.